when people usually say that you know they're expanding globally it means one of the founders wants to go move to LA or somewhere <laughs> is, that, is that the case oh, unfortunately <laughs> I think we probably both want to but I don't know if I misses what that was were you a Love Island fan not me personally not that I'm going to admit to on the podcast <laughs> anyway <laughs> it's one of the few you know print media out there that's actually grown in a market that's relatively in decline I like our lots of, lots of comedy stuff so one of the I mean the brand deal that stands out for me is the Tekken button smashing video we did. He's hired help. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a placement student on cheap labour. <laughs> you said it, you said it, mate. It's a fantastic experience. I mean, what you find out is very quickly uh, how important marketing is. So welcome back to the Social Day podcast I'm with Emily. How are you, Emily? Good, thanks, Stuart. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. So do we have a name for this series? Uh, just Meet the Speaker, I guess. Meet the Speaker it is then, yeah. Okay, so and what what is this series about? Let's let's tell everybody what we're, what we're trying to achieve with this. Yeah, so with Social Day just round the corner, we thought it would be good to let our audience get to know the speakers a little bit better. So what we're going to be doing is just going through some of our most exciting speakers, some of the speakers who are talking about the hottest topics in the industry and just seeing if we can learn a bit more about them and catch up with them on their Social Day sessions. Social Day is happening on the 7th to the 9th of September at St Luke's in London. Uh, we have got three days of speakers, uh, panel debates, and sessions. We're covering everything from influence and marketing through to paid social and content creation. We've got some of the platforms attending, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter. So jam-packed with everything you need to know in 2021 to 2022 for social media marketing. And we've got some of the biggest names, some of the biggest speakers. And of course, it's our first live event in nearly two years. So get onto the website and grab your tickets now. So who have we got coming up first in the in the series, Emily? So first up, we've got Ben Jeffries from Influencer, and you can check out the interview we did with him now. Today, we're joined by Ben Jeffries. He is an award-winning entrepreneur and co-founder of Influencer. Most recently, he was named among the Forbes 30 Under 30 list in 2020 and the Drums Rising Star in 2019. So quite the introduction. Thanks for joining us today, Ben. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on, on board. Always feels weird going back over those sort of things because they feel ages ago, especially after the COVID year we just had. Um, but no, really excited um, to be on today. As me and Stuart were just saying before in like the pre-room, we were just saying this is my hat trick um, for being on social day. So yeah, really, really excited. Yeah, it'll be my first in-person social day. So I'm really looking forward to seeing your session. It does feel weird, doesn't it? Like going back to the new normal now. How has it been like over the last year, just, you know, dealing with all of the curveballs that life's thrown at you? <laughs> I think it's safe to say there have been a million and one curveballs. I mean, you know, going back to, I suppose, February, March time last year, when obviously everything sort of kicked off, April, May and June were just shocking, is <laughs> probably the best way to describe it. I mean, I think they were shocking for everyone. I actually remember, you know, I've become quite good mates with um, a few of our competitor CEOs, um, and we were all just calling each other, being like, what on earth is happening in the industry at the moment? Like, all of these clients are pausing campaigns, they're cancelling campaigns. You know, we need to work together here um, to try and make sure that the confidence comes back in the industry. So it's certainly been, you know, an interesting few months at the start. But then naturally, you know, when the confidence did come back from the advertisers, 
social was the one that was going to win because that's where the eyeballs were at. That's where, you know, the attention was at. Um, so we were very fortunate enough that, you know, I suppose, you know, we pushed through during that COVID year and we put ourselves in the best possible position for when that advertiser confidence did come back. It's interesting that, um, you know, you guys saw a drop off because I think from from the outside perspective, you know, that's the one area that we, we would have thought would have been fairly secure. And, you know, I know it became um, a, a go-to staple during lockdown, but, you know, you'd have thought influencer marketing would be fairly uh, Teflon to, to a pandemic. Yeah, I, you know, I suppose the reason it was probably the quickest marketing form to recover was probably for those reasons that you thought because you know the eyeballs were on social and it is the one where you know everyone was turning to creators themselves um as that sort of like humorous funny content that could distract themselves from everything that was going on in the world we actually did a really interesting research study with global web index um it was called the age of influence and it was about the impact covid had on influence and marketing and what the new normal I hate that phrase i thought we got rid of that phrase but you know the new normal would be so to speak and you know Honestly, it was that people, you know, it's consumers, they just wanted funny, relatable content. People just wanted real stuff. They were sick to death of what was going on in the world. And they turned to their creators, you know, who they followed for that. Um, and brands were able to capitalize on that because that's where the attention was. But, you know, since after those first few months where I was a bit, you know, rocky going, you know, post-COVID, post-lockdown, I mean, it's been like record month-on-month -month growth for us as a business. You know, we're on a stage where we're hiring like crazy right now and we can't necessarily find enough people um, to bring in, which is, you know, a very good place to be in at this stage. Yeah, and I've been following, obviously, what you've been up to over at Influencer. And I think you, what you've done really, really well, and I owe you a congratulations as well, because you were named, uh, Influencer was named one of the best places to work by a campaign magazine. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, I think one thing which we've always tried to pride ourselves in is the culture at the company. We always say that we want people to match our company values and, you know, being named as one of the best places to work by campaign in 2021 was because of the people at the business. You know, the, the people are the ones that drive the culture forward. The people are the ones that set the culture. And it was incredible to have, you know, been named in that award. So obviously, I, th I think it's safe to say that over the last year or so, we've all been experiencing a bit more burnout, a bit more uh, difficulty, obviously transitioning from working from home to the office and back again and finding that healthy work-life balance. What have you brought in at Influencer to help your employees really overcome that and, and thrive so um i think you know one of the main things we did at influencer is we were just you know honest and transparent with everyone i think you know what occurred over the last year was a first for everyone right we didn't try and like rewrite the, the you know the rule book so to speak we you know we listened to what other companies were doing and we did regular like company pulse surveys to understand you know how our team were feeling and i think um you know, some of the key trends that we picked out was, you know, burnout does happen and it does actually happen more so when working from home. I mean, you know, one of the biggest things which, you know, became apparent was that Zoom fatigue is genuinely a thing. You know, it is actually quite draining to be staring at a screen all day and having to, I guess, consciously be looking at someone and be having to interact directly. So, you know, we asked people to, you know, really think, do they need to do Zoom calls or could they just do phone calls? Could they just do audio calls, which would help, you know, stamp that out? We also appreciated that a lot of people, because they were working from home, perhaps didn't necessarily want to take their annual leave because they didn't necessarily think they needed to. But we ensured that we were actively encouraging this because 
ultimately rest is so so important and you know rest encourages fresh ideas and encourages fresh creativity and without taking those breaks you know you can't recharge your own batteries but i think those were some of the things that you know we initiated and you know on top of that um whenever you know a lockdown ended whenever um the government was saying to people you know it's now time to get back to work we basically just said to our team look we're flexible you do what you want to do you do what you know um you're comfortable with because everybody is different and i think that's one of the key overwhelming messages is that you know it's impacted people in different ways um and it's important that you don't try and have a one size fits all um so that's why you know i suppose the flexibility um helped to encourage you know a positive culture but we also then did make sure that you know even if we weren't um, encouraging people to go on, you know, go into the office, we were still organising things for those who did feel comfortable. I mentioned it earlier that you know the, one of the biggest things about influencer is the people at the company, you know, and people are the culture of the company, and that was one of the things which lockdown, I guess, meant that you know people were were actually missing. You know, they were missing that face to face interactions with you know some of their friends. Um, so when you know lockdown did stop we then um, organized that in-person company events where people would be able to connect if they felt comfortable of course weren't compulsory so we did like breakfasts we did like um, dinners and things like that which just helped reinforce that culture so to speak other things as well we assigned everyone with a lockdown buddy in the company um, and it was someone who they wouldn't have that regular day-to-day interaction with and that meant that they had this time slot in their diaries each week where they could just speak to someone who you know not talking about work whatsoever that they would feel comfortable just talking to um, and having that voice because a lot of people live on their own and a lot of people you know weren't interacting with people so we wanted to ensure that they would have that you know that good free-flowing conversation well i was going to ask actually so just on the culture i mean you guys have had like exponential growth um you know over the last few years so i mean i kind of guess like from that day where you know you had the conversation, and I'm assuming it was with Casper that you decided you're going to, um, you know, uh, set out on this 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 incredible journey. Have you managed to keep that culture as close to the sort of original vision, or have or have you? Or has it completely sort of changed from when you first started? It's a really good question, and you know, it's one which, as you get bigger and bigger as a company, it's obviously you know the biggest question is how do you sustain what you know the culture was when you were five people when you were much more people and it comes down to the hiring process and it's you know you, you find people um who you know you interview who you're like you know they could make the business a lot of money but if they don't match the company values then we don't want them at the company because that then will cause you know like a virus within the company where people will leave and people won't feel comfortable so it's really staying true to those company values and it's you know one of the things which we do as a as a company every quarter um we go over you know the previous quarter's results and we talk about transparently um to the rest of the business what we're doing next quarter and what our annual goals are and what our three-year goals as a company um and i think people really respect that transparency um but essentially you know how that comes back to everything is um you know with that transparency um people feel um, much more part of the journey and you know that's really something which we want to actively encourage yeah no, that's great having uh, worked in many uh, you know large organizations and some that have grown and things i mean it's it's impossible to get recruitment right all the time but i think when you get to a certain size you you have to have management inside that can get rid of toxic people quickly a lot of people 
talk about the perks of um, you know or you can have as unlimited Apple products or things, but I think deep down people want to know that they the company's doing well, and if it isn't doing well, what can they do to help you know change the course? A hundred percent. You know, I think you have to bring people along the journey, you have to be transparent, or else you know people will start worrying and people will start thinking otherwise if you're not transparent. So it's better to be honest and say, look, this is what's happening. This is how we're going to change things. And this is how we're going to improve things. Um, and then people, you know, you know, want to help and people want to get to that next level. But, you know, we've got an incredible um, people team influencer headed up by someone called Carly, who's our head of heart, who I've got to give a special shout out to. She is an absolute rock. And um, we call her um, our head of heart rather than necessarily our head of people, because, you know, she is the heart of the business and she does help promote that culture within her team but then also the wider company um to make sure that as we grow we are continuing on that and you know i mentioned those end of quarters where we are transparent and what we do in every end of quarter is we also remind everyone what our company values are and then we list out examples where people have shown true to the company values so for example one of our company values is don't just follow influence so we talk about you know how someone internally has perhaps really led the way whether in a disruptive way um and actually you know wrong true to that another one is break boundaries together it's just showing about you know that teamwork together um and how people you know cross department work really closely to perhaps get a deal across the line or you know get a creator on board and all of these examples which is something which helps you know i guess celebrate the small wins but remind everyone what um the company's mission actually is i was just talking about the uh, people influencing i mean i had a boss years and years ago that um he always used to go go from the pub um like after a probably the first pint uh, I said to him one day why do you do that and he said well because once you guys will get pissed you would start bending my ear and uh you know I, I'm, I'm not drunk as <laughs> you guys it wasn't until years later it was about 10 years later that I you know sort of found myself in that that first situation where you're out on a team night out and nobody really wanted to talk to me all they wanted to do is get pissed and tell me like you know where things were shit and, and how we could improve it just uh I just thought back to that thought yeah, that's uh, that's influencing, all right. Oh, absolutely. I think you know, always stay for the first pint, but then leave after that, <laughs> so to speak. So uh, going forward in the industry, obviously we're hoping that we're going to get back to some kind of normality, you know, in the next eighteen months or so. But what do you think are the big things that are going to change in the next eighteen months? Do you think there's any like big trends in the industry we need to watch out for? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think as well over the last year we've seen a lot of changes to the influencer marketing world, so to speak. And I think not just changes to the influencer marketing world, but to the creator economy in general, which I think is a word which everyone's now mentioning. And the reason being is I think, you know, Instagram, TikTok, you know, these platforms who are just growing from strength to strength in terms of user base, they're also launching new content types. We saw, you know, Instagram launch reels. We saw, you know, we're even seeing TikTok now um, trial using stories. And all of these platforms, um, you know, they're launching new content types, which is spurring on, you know, a fresh wave of creators um, because they're creators who can then be empowered on these unique platforms, like even with YouTube and Shorts, which is their short form video content. Now, why I mentioned the creator economy is because we're seeing a lot within the influencer space now that creators are being much more um, specific over the brand partnerships that they're doing because the brand partnerships 
isn't just their sole form of income anymore. They can make money through, you know, selling a subscription. They can make money through um, launching their own fashion brand or even launching their own NFT range, for example, right? So we're seeing big evolutions across the whole creator economy space. And ultimately what that's doing is just, I guess, furthering the industry as a whole. So I think in terms of what trends we're going to see is we're going to see, you know, ambassadorships occur much more with creators focusing on just a few brands that they're going to work with across the year. And these are going to be brands that they're going to be working on a much more creative content with um, and signing, you know, these annual partnerships with because they're going to be, you know, launching, you know, content across these other content formats, whether they launch their own podcast, whether they launch their own NFT range, as I mentioned. Then what we're also going to be seeing um, is, you know, that's on the creator side. I do think on the brand side, brands um, themselves are going to be thinking much more around the return of investment of a campaign. Ultimately, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how April, May and June last year, you know, there was a bit of, you know, advertisers cancelling campaigns, pausing campaigns. And then they required to be a little bit tighter on, you know, for every dollar spent, we need to get like five dollars back, so to speak. Um, in the case of influence marketing, 10 or 20 dollars back, of course. But, you know, in these examples, we were seeing advertisers want to make sure that when they were spending with us, they wanted those guarantees. Um, so what we'll see over the course of this year is influencer marketing with its performance marketing element attached to it become much stronger in connection. And the way that occurs is through paid media playing a bigger role in the influencer marketing, you know, in, in, in the influencer marketing ecosystem. So there will be the natural organic influencer posts that we see today, but then also the retargeting from the influencer content, but also um, the influencer content going out to you know, new audiences um, and reaching further distances. And then ultimately, you know, one of the big things, which is, I guess, what I'm talking about at, at Social Day, um, is the role of emotion in influence marketing. Now, you know, paid media is not a new concept. Paid media has been around for a while now. And TikTok have launched something which is really, really cool and exciting. So it's called Generation T. Um, and essentially what Generation T is, is TikTok basically saying, look, you know, you, you can traditionally target people by the demographics, like what city they're in or how old they are. But, you know, taking one step further with Generation T, you can target people based on their mindset. So you can target someone, you know, whether they're in a cheerful mood, whether they're feeling like they need, you know, a bit more motivation. And what that does is it changes the game in terms of, you know, how the connection is with the content. Because ultimately, you know, you need a strong connection to then you know, get further down the marketing funnel because as the connection builds, people move from just seeing an ad to actually connecting with the ad and then actually going all the way through to a sale. So I think emotion is going to become a big piece and that paid media is going to help, um, but that's going to also encourage deeper creativity in the content to match that deeper targeting. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, you mentioned there that brands need to be looking to work with, you know, perhaps a smaller pool of talent and but work with them for a, a, a longer time. And I know that some of the other people we've, we've spoken to have, you know, suggested that, that that's the way things are going. I mean, what, what advice would you give to, you know, perhaps somebody listening to this now that is working for a brand? And, you know, they're just tuning into this idea now that, yeah, okay, you know, we, we, we need to relinquish a little bit of control, um, but we need to have longer relationships with people we trust. Where do you, where do you think they should start, you know, in, in terms of identifying who they need to be working with? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and it's something which we get asked a lot because 
a lot of people say, you know, do we have to test and learn, so to speak? Do we just test with, you know, 100 creators and then pick the best five for ambassadorship, you know, you know, partnership, so to speak? And the main thing is, you know, businesses like Influencer, and, you know, there are other businesses out there as well. They've got, you know, a mass pool of data where we've done the test and learn in the past. So we can help you, you know, better understand which creators are better for ambassadorship partnerships or for brand awareness or for better ones for, you know, driving performance. We have this data, which actually helps, um, you know, make those more informed the decisions. But the most important thing which you will have to work out is do, you know, these creators match the company values? And that's what it comes down to, because ultimately you want to have that authentic relationship. And if a creator is going to be talking regularly over the course of the year of the partnership, you want to have that authentic relationship where, you know, you may contract them over the course of the year to do just say, you know, 20 to 50 pieces of content. But what you want is you want a creator who's just going to organically talk about the product, organically post about it outside of that agreement, because that's also where you're going to get the extended reach and the extended amounts of, um, you know, I guess, natural people talking about the product. So, yeah, company values and how that matches the creator and the brand. And what we say influencer is, you know, which creators and brands are going to build that meaningful relationship. They're seeing some like really nice stuff. And I kind of guess it's, it's two way, uh, you know, especially with like athletes and things where you're getting partnerships that benefit both parties and you're actually seeing some really like nice natural content come through from it, you know, and I, I just think that there's a lot to be learned there. Too often we see brands thinking that they've got, the, they're thinking more about the demographic of an influencer rather than the, perhaps the content that's being produced. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you know, you raised a really fair point there, which is around like, I suppose, nowadays, it's, it used to be influencers want to be celebrities. Now it's the kind of celebrities want to be influencers. Um, and we're seeing that mass crossover, which is great, because what we're seeing is that kind of like, deeper collaboration, in terms of how, I guess, you know, the campaigns actually work, because it's now tends to be, okay, we'll have some celebrities as well as content creators all together in the campaign. But in the end, they're actually producing the same level of content, um, which is really exciting. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this, but oh well, I am going to. Um, I'm talking um, in front of Parliament um, in the beginning of September in front of the Parliamentary Committee on Influence Marketing. Um, and one of the questions, you know, one of the first questions they're asking is, you know, what is an influencer? And I noticed that they'd answered or they'd asked the same question to, you know, M. Sheldon, who's a creator herself, um, as well as other people. And they all gave different answers. But I suppose the real truth in that is that there are so many different influencers in, you know, in the world now that they all come under this encompassing of umbrella of, you know, people who do influence, whether that's people who influence from being a social media star people who influence being a celebrity you know it's that word which encompasses everyone now and obviously it just it's just great that we've obviously got influencer.com and the instagram handle influencer to you know power that forward it's funny though isn't it how do you even like begin to unpack that question especially to a you know a government committee where you know they like to have a defined definition don't they and it's it's not quite that straightforward is it no it's not and i think you know that's one of the things that, that this parliamentary committee will help to understand because they essentially want to understand, you know, do influencers have too much power or do influencers have too much control? But you do have to come back to know, you know, who who is an influencer. And the, the question is, there are so many different types, so you can't, you know, I guess, you know, encapsulate that group, so to speak. But um, it'll be a really interesting discussion. And, you know, I'm actually looking forward to it. 
Yeah, and I think we we also hopefully uh, the ASA will be listening, and you know maybe they can start to uh, not treat all influencers as as the same sort of influencers and tar them with the same brush. Yeah, I mean, I have regular conversations with the ASA, and I think you know. The important thing for um, the industry as a whole is it is you know self regulation and that's what um, you know I guess drives it forward and you know in order for self regulation to work you know we do need everyone to you know I guess support each other and you know we we see cases of some creators getting trolled and you know getting consistently reported to the ASA but that's just not self conducive because then that dampens the industry even more so you know I think to the ASA's credit. They do offer as much guidance as possible and they do offer as many talks possible. And they're always, you know, happy to do even more talks, um, you know, if, if people want them, you know, want them to. But there certainly needs to be that definition over, as you say, you know, what is an influencer so that they can make sure that, you know, there's there's not one rule for one type of influencer and another rule for another. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, I think some of that stems into this, the type of medium. I do, where, where this has come from, and I'm not trying to put you into a into a corner on it and stuff. Is it with uh, one of our previous episodes we were discussing filters? You know why actually a filter is banned on one channel, but yet makeup and plastic food aren't banned on another channel uh, when it's the same. It's the same medium of video, and you're allowed to distort the product on one and not uh, on social media. So I think they they've got some deeper things to look at there, um, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's why you're seeing, you know, more and more councils popping up, should we say. I mean, you know, Klarna launched their own influencer council and it's because perhaps they feel like there are more people, you know, the more collective heads that come together, the greater chance they have of keeping the self-regulation in play and making sure that we can, you know, improve how the rules and the guidelines go. Because, yeah, you, you know, you are right. There are some rules which perhaps don't align across other media channels, um, but hopefully councils can help educate and help guide them for future so that they all do align. Really exciting. I'm glad that like, obviously you're involved in all of that and, and that people are actually just being made aware of it now that things need to happen and like recognising influencer marketing as a genuine, you know, like really important industry. It's obviously part the creator economy, you know, it's like its own economy now. I feel like it's taken brands and the government and a lot of people to kind of wake up to that. But it feels like finally, like it's starting to happen. So, yeah, hundred percent. And I think just on that, I think it, you know it's only going to better the industry. I think that's what's exciting. Um, is it's going to drive the industry forward and you know take let influencer marketing be seen as a you know as a more serious player in the wider media plans. You know, I was speaking to a few of our agency partners, and they were saying that you know this year is the first year where agencies are actually having influencer marketing as a line item on the media plan and that just shows how far we've come over the last few years but exciting for where you know the industry is going yeah it definitely yeah. is well it was great to have you on ben thanks so much for joining us today and it was uh, great to hear about your social day session thank you for coming on amazing thank you so much for having me really really appreciate it looking forward to speaking a social day Wow, so that was actually a really insightful podcast. It's really interesting to find out what uh, Ben and the guys at Influencer have been been up to to, to keep the teams engaged over the last 18 months. Uh, remember, if you want to catch up with uh, Ben, uh, come put some questions to him. You know, grab your tickets for Social Day, 7th and 9th of September in London. All the information is on the website. 
Uh, Emily, is there any sessions that you're looking forward to seeing at Social Day? Obviously, Ben's. But there's just so many we've got lined up. I'm particularly excited for the social commerce one, Ross Middleham's Met Office one, uh, when's the right time to launch your brand on TikTok. I'm just really excited to connect with all of the platforms and hear these amazing speakers. So if you want to head to www.socialday.uk and you can also see our updated COVID-19 policy, the lineup, the programme and more information about the event. Brilliant. Well, that's all from us until the next one. Yep. See you next week.